A reading from the book of Proverbs. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The word of the Lord. Y'all may have a seat. Um, Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to bring it to bear uh, in things like baptisms. We get to be reminded of what's true when we're so forgetful. Um, And we get to bring it to bear in our lives. And what better way, what more practical and fitting and immediately applicable way to do that than in this area of work. So Lord, I pray for your spirit. I pray for um, a quickening of your spirit, as the uh, old uh, Bible scholars used to say, uh, for myself, uh, for our own hearts, that we'd be quickened and enlivened and and, uh, woken up um, to what's really going on in our hearts and our lives when we work. Um, and that we would be redeemed and saved um, from our flesh and from folly. Um, That's the work of your spirit, so I pray that he would do it this morning in your name. Amen. Um, So I want you to imagine uh, that you're sitting at a table of complete strangers. I'm sure every single one of you has experienced this, like picture these big round tables, and everybody around the table is a total stranger to you. You've never met them before, you've never spoken to them before, and maybe this is at a wedding Uh, or a rehearsal dinner that you've been invited to, but you get put at a table with no one you know. Maybe this is at a work conference and you're there alone. Uh, Or maybe it's uh, where I was yesterday morning, which was uh, a benefit dinner or a benefit breakfast for a nonprofit where I was asked to speak. Whatever it is, inevitably, you're gonna reach a point and you're probably gonna ask of a stranger next to you that you're trying to awkwardly make conversation with. You're gonna try to, you're gonna end up asking them a question. Does anyone know what the question is that I'm talking about? So what do you do? Exactly. What do you do? And I got to confess, I kind of hate that question, even though I asked it of the guy sitting next to me yesterday morning. And I hate that question. Maybe partly why I hate that question is I had a conversation uh, with a Swedish friend of mine years back, and she was talking about how Americans have these phrases that we use that feign interest, but both parties know that we're not really interested in the actual answer to the question. And maybe you guys are like, well, no, when I ask, what do you do? I really mean it. What I'm kind of getting at, though, is that's just one of these things we say, right? We say, so what do you do? And you're not, like, I don't really want to know what you do with your life. I want you to give me, like, what's your nine to five? But I think if we're honest, none of us actually believes that sums up the answer to the question, what do you do? Because if someone asked me, what do I do? And I decided to give them an honest answer, it's probably be a lot more than what they were asking for, right? So we're, we're talking about work this morning, but I want to kind of immediately make our minds wrestle a little bit and grapple a little bit with the fact that we all carry um, a lot of baggage and, and a lot of maybe misinformation uh, and, and um, misplaced conviction about what work is, the value of it, what it actually is, like what's confined in the idea of it, because every single one of us works right? Every one of us is working all the time. 
We're engaging in labor. We're, we're pursuing things. We're expending energy in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies toward everything all the time. It's what it means to be alive. It's what it means to be human. And so don't you think that wisdom would be a really great thing to have in the area of work? Don't you think that the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and James and 1 John, which I'm thinking of all the other places that I've drawn scriptures from for our sermon this morning, don't, don't you think, and wouldn't it be great if the Bible spoke to this area of our lives? So we're in, uh, this summer, we are in a series in the wisdom literature of the Bible. Um, and we've said that wisdom, according to scripture, wisdom is the art of living rightly, right? It's the art of right living. And that word art there is really important because it's not a science. It, 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 it's, it's nuanced and it takes on different forms in different seasons and in different situations. But it's, it's this idea of how do I live as a person who loves God in this world that I've been created to be in, right? Like, how do I love God, but also exist in the mess, in the complication, in the beauty, in the joy, in the struggle of this life? How do I do that? How do I do that rightly? And it's not just rightly in the sense of like morally, right? That's not, that's not all that wisdom means. It's not just like, how do I like obey the rules according to God? That's not all that rightly means. It's also wisdom in this sense of fullness. Like, how do I live fully? And we talked a lot about that when we've talked about different emotions. So we talked about anger a few weeks ago. And I said that anger, part of living with anger is actually living out of the fullness of who you were created to be. That there is actually a component, there's a, a facet of your heart that should have anger. Because I said it's the muscle of love for us. So similarly, this idea of work is about how do I live fully? How do I live completely in the fullness of who God has made me to be as his image bearer? And the reason this is really important is because there's a war that's going on that doesn't want us to live fully. There's a, there's a force at play in our hearts, in our lives, in this world that doesn't want us to live rightly, that doesn't want us to live with wisdom. And Proverbs calls that force folly. Okay, the opposite of wisdom in the book of Proverbs is folly. And I, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, and I know Dave has talked about this too. The categories that we're talking about here, when we're talking about these opposing forces that exist in us are the categories of the flesh and the spirit. And so another way to look at wisdom and folly is what does living life rightly, what does living life look like according to the spirit? And what does living life look like according to the flesh? And that would give you a good sense of what does wisdom look like and what does folly look like? Because the flesh and the spirit are two kingdoms that are at war within us. This is, this is like your basic spiritual biology. That every single one of you, if you're a human in this world, you have the flesh and you have the spirit in you. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. He talks about this throughout the book of Galatians. It is everywhere in scripture that we are people at war within us. And so as we are seeking to live with wisdom, there is also parts of us that want to live with folly. And the easiest way to think about the flesh and the spirit, and this is going to be so important, guys, for this discussion of work. The easiest way to think about this war between the flesh and the spirit is that it's a war of love and it's a war of what you love because the flesh is always ruled by love for self. That's what the flesh does. From the very beginning, when the flesh awoken in Adam and Eve, it was, it was out of the serpent inviting them to say, you know what, how about you don't believe the Lord loves you as much as he says he does? 
How, how about you believe that you need to love yourself, that you need to pursue something more different or other than what God's given you? And so from the very beginning, we have been people that are tempted to be ruled by our flesh, which is ruled by a love for ourselves. And of course, the Spirit is at war with that. The Spirit says, no, you don't just love yourself. You love the Lord. You're loved by the Lord. And then out of that comes a love for others and, yes, a love for yourself. So these two wars that are going on, these two forces or two kingdoms, the kingdom of the flesh, the kingdom of the spirit are always at war within us. And so when we get to this discussion of work, the question that we have this morning is what is work that is done in the spirit? What does it look like to be people who work and who labor according to the spirit and according to wisdom? And then conversely, what does work look like that's done according to the flesh? What does work look like in this realm of folly? Because to work with a love for self, Proverbs would say, is folly. So we're going to unpack these two things. Um, and I want to just start off and say, I guess this is a little bit of a disclaimer. There has been so much good, even in the last 50 years, written about work. And in some ways, I feel uh, just very small for the task of tackling this discussion of work in one sermon. So there's going to be probably a lot of places we could go that you're maybe thinking or hoping we go. And I would invite you, pursue, we, we've got some really good, there have been men and women that have written amazing things about work and probably in different areas than what I'm going to talk about this morning. I want you to think about what we're doing this morning is just kind of painting a base coat and also based on the things the Lord's given me this week, we're going to look at like a few particular like pieces of the landscape, right? So we got the base coat and we got some pieces of the landscape we're looking at specifically out of this book of Proverbs. So what is work that's done according to the spirit? What is work that's done with wisdom? And I want to, I want to just kind of set this foundation, this kind of base coat by defining in my own words, at least, and from what I've been reading this week in, in scripture, what the definition of work is. Like ultimately, kind of baseline, what is the definition of work? I, I've kind of thought about this like, this is like the natural law of work, okay? And it's this, and I think this will make sense. Work is what I do when I love, okay? Work is what I do when I love because I always work for what I love, right? I always labor for the things that I love. I, what I love, I work for. What I care about, what I desire is what I put my effort to. Why would I do anything different? Does that make sense? That's kind of the natural law of work. And so work is the expression of my love or my loves, right? It's, it's the, if, if, like we said with anger, if anger was kind of the muscle that got us to love, well, then when I know I love something, I'm then going to be working for it. I'm then going to be laboring for it. And I think this is what one of the Proverbs that, Christine read this morning acknowledges. Proverbs 11:10. It's the one that says, "When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices." Why? Why is it that when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices? Well, I think it acknowledges and it confirms what we just said, that when good people do good work, when they work for what they love and when what they love is good, they bless everybody around them. Right? When the righteous prosper, when the righteous work, when they do good, when they produce good things, the city rejoices. Everyone around them benefits. Their love goes on display in their work. Their work creates and makes the things they're loving, the vision they're loving. And all the people who they are working for benefit from it. 
That's what that proverb says. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. But it also works negatively, doesn't it? Because the very next line of that proverb says, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. So that also means that when the wicked work, when those who are working according to the flesh, when they are working for what they love, it does the opposite. It doesn't benefit the city. It doesn't benefit the people around them. And so when they perish, there are shouts of joy. When those who live according to the flesh, when they work, when they work out of their flesh, and then when they work out of their love for self, there's oppression, there's neglect. They do things that harm the people around them because they're working out of their self-centered love. But either way, work is what I do when I love. Work is the expression of my love. So when we're thinking about what work looks like according to the Spirit, I want to start us, again, very, very kind of foundational level, that work comes from God. That spirit work, work that is done with wisdom, work that is done out of the spirit is work that comes from God because God does work for us first. That's the beginning of what work was, is him doing work for us and then working through us. So work according to the spirit, work according to wisdom is, is work that God does for us and work that God does through us. So work that God does for us. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go way back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and creation. God's work for us or his expression of love for us came in his creating us. That was what motivated the Lord your God to work. Look at Genesis 1. We get language like, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, right? God went on a six-day journey of laboring, of working. He made things. Then he rested after he worked, right? And then he looked at all his work and he said it was very good. So creation, the very first acts of God that, that we know of in scripture was, a, was work. And it was an expression of love for us. And then we especially see that when we get to verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, because we know that you know, the Lord creates all the different things and all the different days. And then he gets to the day. And in verse 26 of Genesis 1, he says, let us make man. So again, make. It's a work word, right? Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God said within himself, I want to do something different. I don't want to just make things that don't look like me. I now want to create something that looks like me, that bears my image, that will bear my image to the world around me, that will, that will be the, the bearer of my attributes to the world. I read one scholar a while back who said, this was like the, the God making man in his image was like transposing a symphony into a sculpture. Chew on that this week. That this, this unimaginable act of love culminated in the Lord saying, I'm going to transpose the symphony of my being, the symphony of my image into this sculpture of you. I'm going to take myself and in some mysterious way, I'm going to form a creature that bears my image. You see the love expressed through God's work there? Do you see in that account how the Lord was laboring for what he loved? 
This wasn't just, well, I guess I better get up today. Um, I don't know, let's check the to-do list and see what we're going to do today. Oh, okay, creation, we'll do that. Right? It was so much more intentional than that. It was the Lord saying, I want to create things that will be the, the objects of my love, that will be the, 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 the things that I pour my love and my affection into. And so I'm going to labor for that. So that was God's work. It was his expression of love for us. It was his love activated for us in creating us. And we all know what we did with that that work, right? We threw it back in his face. And Adam and Eve said, you know, creating me in your image is great, but I don't want to be in your image. I want to be your image. Do you remember what the serpent said, what he offered Adam and Eve? He said, you can be like God, in other words, you, you can basically be God. And in, in the one way that you're not like him, in this knowledge of good and evil, you can be him. And they said, yeah, we'll take that. So this act of love that God extended to us in creating us, this act of work, we threw it back in his face. And guess what he did? He kept on working. Because now we go from Genesis 1 and take a look. You don't have to, we'll be all over the place this morning so you don't have to flip around. But let's go to John 1. Okay, John 1 is the second creation experience, the second creation work of God after we had thrown his image back in his face. Because in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So the work of God, the loving expression of God in work, it didn't just come in creating us, it also came in redeeming us. Because then he said, I gotta keep working. I'm gonna keep working out of my love for you. I'm gonna keep creating, except this time I'm creating your redemption. I'm sending my son. I'm creating him in flesh like you. I'm making him as a man. He's gonna come as a man. Again, for the sake of who I love, which is you, to redeem you. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new work of God. We are all new works of God if we know him. The old has gone, the new has come. So we see that in these works of God, in the creation and the redemption, his work was out of love for us. It was an expression of his love and he would not stop working until he had made us his. So work is God, what God does for us. But also, and this is where it now becomes our work, work is what God does through us. So this is when the work becomes our own. This is when his work becomes our work. When we get to pick up the hammer, when we get to pick up the paintbrush, and we get to work out of the work that he's done in us. So work isn't just something God does. Work is also something that God created us to do. So we work out of our being made in his own image. That since God is a working God, since God is a loving God, since God from the beginning labored for the sake of what he loves, he now created us to be those who labor for the sake of what he loves, which we hope is also what we love. Our work becomes an expression of his work in us. Our work becomes him working through us. And we see that also in 2 Corinthians 5, okay? We just read, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, God's work, right? 
And then it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself, also his work. And then guess what it says next? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? He's saying, I I worked for you. I reconciled you to myself and now I'm giving you work to do. I'm giving you a ministry. And Paul goes on to say in verse 20 in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So what I want to get at this morning for our work is that our work is an expression of our identity as image bearers of God. That part of God's image is work and laboring and and fighting for what he loves. And so our work is then an expression. When done in the spirit, our work is an expression of our identity. We have a Marine colonel in the house this morning. I'm not going to call him out. But in the Marines and in every other branch of the armed forces and pretty much every society that's ever existed, there's someone who carries the flag, right? The standard bearer, the flag bearer. And that person's job in carrying the flag is to be the representation of what's represented by the flag, right? To be the one that says, this is what I'm about. This is what we are about. Recognize that this is who's coming, If we are made in the image of God, then our work is to be the image bearers, the flag bearers, the standard bearers of the God who made us. That is the function of our work. And so when we love the things that God loves, when we labor for the things that he's passionate about, then we are his image bearers. We are his flag bearers out into the world, caring for what he cares about and loving what he loves. So when I love the things that God loves in my life, when I care about the things that he cares about, then work is what I do to make those things flourish. It's like what I do when I I take the seeds that God has given me. I take the seeds he's planted in me, which are unique to me, and I plant them and I begin to tend them and I grow them into the plants, into the trees, into the, the, the beautiful things that he's about in this world. So then work becomes what we do out of an identity that we already have. You see where we're going, right? Work becomes something now that I do because of an identity I already have and an identity I've already been given. Because now I'm an image bearer of God. I'm someone who has been implanted with the things he loves deep inside me. Now my work is an expression of that identity as someone that has been bought, someone that is loved, someone that is precious to him. But we know, if you're sitting here listening to this and you're like, that sounds really great, that is not my experience of what work is. You just used the word love like a thousand times and I hate my job. We know this isn't easy. We know that this living out of a love that's in us does not come naturally. What else would we expect within this war of the flesh and the spirit? Because there's another side to work. There's not just the spirit side to work. There is in us who labor through life that are on this side of eternity, that are on this side of the perfection that God's gonna bring when he comes back. We are people who live with work that is controlled by the flesh or work according to folly, as Proverbs would say. So if we go back to saying that work is an expression of love, and if I work out of what I love, 
and I work for what I love, then what happens when what I love is ruled by the flesh? Well, then we begin to work not for others, not for the Lord. We begin to work for ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about what that looks like. Work that's done according to the flesh, work that's done according to folly is work that I do out of my own love for me and work that I do for more love for me. When, I, when, when I'm ruled by my flesh, when my flesh is on the throne, I can't love and I can't work out of what God loves and what God works for, right? Because by definition, God is not God for me anymore. I, I've, I've ceased to allow God to be the Lord of my life. And so I'm not working for what he loves anymore. I'm not working for what he cares about anymore. I'm working for who's on the throne, which is me. And so I don't work because I have an identity. I work to get an identity. I don't work because I have love and and I am loved. I work in order to be loved. I work in order to get love. And I think... I think that this fact, this this natural tendency of our heart is the basis for much, maybe not all, but much of our workaholism, our overwork, our unhealthy work habits, the anxiety that we have around work. I think all of these things come out of a place of saying, no, I'm working for what I love. That I don't love the things of the Lord anymore. I'm loving myself. I'm looking for more love for myself. I'm looking to create more love for myself. I'm looking to create an identity for myself. And so I think this is the basis for a lot of our unhealthy emotional and physical exhaustion when it comes to work. So I want you to listen, and I want you to to look, if you're somehow still following along in the scriptures, uh, at two of the Proverbs that Christine read. Because there were two really interesting ones that you might have picked up on. And it uses the word sluggard. Okay, I think of Louisville sluggard, uh, the bat. That's not the sluggard we're talking about. I don't even know where that, Hal could get up here and give us the, the history of the word slugging in baseball. This is not the same. Okay, so Proverbs 13, 4 and Proverbs 21, verses 25 and 26. Proverbs 13, 4 says, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. A sluggard's appetite is never filled. And then Proverbs 21, 25, and 26 says, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. So the word sluggard is the word for the slothful person. Okay, another word that's a little bit outdated these days, but sloth, okay, it's one of the seven deadly sins. It's maybe also one of the ones that we talk about the least because what does that word even mean? But the word sluggard, when it's used in this context, is the word for sloth. It's not the same thing as the word for lazy. There's a reason why it didn't say the lazy person's appetite is never filled. Those two words are a little bit related, but they're not the same thing. In Proverbs, the word that's used when work that's ruled by the flesh is what they're talking about. So when, when, when in the book of Proverbs, when it's talking about folly and work or work that's done according to the flesh, like we just described, the word they use for that is sloth. So I wanna look at why does it say, and this will help us kind of unpack what is understood by this idea of sloth. 
But why does it use the words appetite and craving there? A sluggard's appetite is never filled. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him. What appetite and what craving? Well, if we, if we go back to what we said our definition of work is, that work is my expression of love, well, then when I'm not filled by the love of God, what am I doing? I'm craving, right? I have an insatiable appetite for love. When I've abandoned the love of God in my life and I've said, no, I have to make my love for myself. I have to create by my work, by my efforts, by my labor. I have to become someone that's lovable. Then we can say like Proverbs, a sluggard's appetite is never filled. The cravings of a sluggard will be the death of him and all day long he craves for more. A craving for satisfaction, an appetite for acceptance and justification, and a craving for love. And what's really interesting is that craving, that appetite gets manifested both in overwork, in hyperwork, and in underwork or in laziness. So we typically have this idea of, of slothfulness as kind of being like a, a laziness or an apathy. What it is, is it's a laziness or an apathy or a disinterest in the things of God. It's a disinterest in the, the things that God loves. Because remember, when the, my flesh is ruling, the things that God loves aren't the most important thing for me. So when I'm slothful, I'm, I'm weary and I'm tired and I'm just kind of done with the things of God. But what that can do, it can make me lazier, it can make me apathetic, it can also make me hyperworking. It can make me someone who craves and someone who fights and someone who extends myself to try to gain and force and get the things that only God promises to give me. And so my slothfulness can either manifest itself in kind of a franticness or a busyness or a striving or it can manifest itself in just a kind of an apathy and sometimes both at the same time. Would love to get to say more about that, but that's a different sermon. So what, 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 I'm, what I'm doing and what Proverbs is doing right here is it's giving us these pictures. It's giving us these even kind of a little bit uncomfortable word pictures for what it looks like to be people who labor either for the things of God, according to the Spirit, or labor for the things of the flesh, according to folly. So good work, okay, work that is done as an expression of our love for God is work that's according to the Spirit. It's when my love and the things that God loves gets activated and where I walk around as his standard bearer. As I love the things he loves, I'm bearing his standard telling the world this is what God loves. And then slothfulness is the same thing, but in kind of a reverse or twisted way. It's, it's total love for myself that can't find any passion or motivation to love anything else. So how do we be people as those that are seeking to walk in maturity, as those that are seeking to walk in wisdom, as those that are seeking to be faithful workers for the kingdom? How do we do that out of the spirit, out of wisdom, and not out of the flesh or out of folly? I want to take us, and this will be the last place in scripture that we go, I want to take us to Matthew 3. It's kind of fitting that we uh, did a double baptism this morning and we're now going to land the plane in Jesus' baptism. Because in Matthew 3, Jesus has been born. Um, He has lived a full life. This is one of the mysteries of the Bible is we know almost nothing about what Jesus did with the 30 years of his life. 
But you know what we do know? He worked, right? He was a carpenter. So he, he, he worked. He just lived as a man. He experienced this, this tension that we just talked about between work with my flesh and work with my spirit. And so where we get in, in, verse, or in chapter 3 of Matthew is we get Jesus, after he's lived a very full life of work, about to begin his public ministry. He's about to be called into really and truly what he's going to be about in this world and go on his ministry and eventually die. And so before that happens, okay, I'm setting this up because this is important. Before Jesus goes on his work that he's called to, he becomes baptized, And so in verse 16 in Matthew 3, it says this, And when Jesus was baptized, he's with John the Baptist. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he walked up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son, God said to Jesus and to everyone else watching. I am well pleased with him. Now go do your work, Jesus. The place from which our Lord left to do his work was a place of hearing from his father, his acceptance, his love, his father's pleasure, and his identity as a son. The work that Jesus did when he went on his ministry and he began to heal and he began to teach and he entered into the suffering that all the people put on him, he entered that underneath the banner of the love of his father, the acceptance of his father, the pleasure of his father. And because Jesus' work, because of the work that Jesus did for us, God looks at you and me and he says this, That is my beloved son. That is my beloved daughter. I am well pleased with you. Now go do your work. That we are people, because of the life of Jesus, we are people that can stand as Jesus stood and receive the appreciation, the affection, the pleasure, and the approval of our Father. We can be people that now go out and work and love out of the love we've been given. It's as if Jesus is saying, work out of the work that I've done for you. Go love out of the love that I have loved you. And would you believe that there is love and there is passion in you that comes from me? Would you believe that? That you have this morning been placed with a passion and a love that's, that's as deep as the very image of God that you were created in? Would you believe that, that that's in you and that wants to come out of you? That there is love and there is passion and there is desire that is in you that is greater than any of the love and passion and desire that you can well up within yourself, that you can create out of your flesh. And would you take that, Jesus says, would you take that as the fuel for your work? That his deep love, his deep pleasure is on you. And can you imagine what it would be like for our community? Just think about our small community here. Would you imagine what it would be like if all of us were activated in that way? 
that had the love and the infection and the pleasure of our Father activated in us, and that his love and his pleasure and the things he cares about, his passion for the world, if that came alive in us just as our small community, can you imagine what we would do? Can you imagine the work that we would accomplish in our jobs, in our families, inside the home, in the hobbies that we go out and do, in the, the sports that we coach or the sports we play in or you know, the gym we work out in, all these different spheres that we live in, that we work in, that extend beyond, they include our nine to five, but they extend beyond our nine to five. If we carried the love and the affection of our father and heard him say, I'm well pleased with you, now go work. Can you imagine what that would unleash in our families, in our jobs, and in our city? One thing I really deeply wanted for this morning uh, was to make this as practical as possible. And I'm just going to confess, there's a part of me that heard the Lord say, uh, you're not going to be able to make this as practical as you want it to be for each individual person, because I have no idea of all, I know some of them, I don't know, I have no idea of all the situations, the work situations, the family situations, the, the feelings of excitement for your calling, and the feelings of, I don't even know what a calling is, I don't know what all that is for you. So to a certain extent, It's going to be your work with the Lord to apply what we've talked about. But I do want to give us a few practical things um, that that at least I see and have experienced for me that that would mean if we took this seriously. And the word that I want to kind of paint over all of it, practically speaking, is the word freedom. Because I think we live with a, a sad lack of freedom in our work lives, in our labor lives as Christians. That we are people, again, because we have had the affection of the only person whose affection matters put on us, and we, there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. We should be unimaginably free. And so what would it look like practically for the freedom of the Lord's pleasure and approval to fall on you? Well, I think it would give you freedom from your work, number one. And by, what I mean by that is it would give you freedom from making your work the most important thing about you. Okay, men, women. It would give you freedom from making work the thing that defines you and gives you your identity, that gives you a sense of I matter, I'm valuable, I'm doing something. We'd have freedom from that. But I also think we would have freedom to our work too. That if you're waking up this, tomorrow morning, it's Monday, and you're going, well, am I going to go in and do this one more time? that you could at least say, well, Lord, I have woken up and this is the calling I have, at least for this day. So I have the freedom to run into the work that I'm doing and see that not just as something that's drudgery, but as something that at least for this day, Lord, you have called me to. And would I believe that there is love that you want to express out of me through my work? And maybe that means looking at the people you work with differently. Maybe trying to say, you know what? The Lord loves them, so I'm gonna let my love his love for them, work out of me through my work today. Would you see that you have freedom to work? Ecclesiastes um, has, a, has a passage that I think we read a few weeks ago, and it's where the author has been talking about work and labor, and uh, he's just said, you know, it's, it just feels like toil all the time. And then he says this, he says, there's nothing better. It's kind of, he wakes up for a second. I think he wakes up to the freedom that I'm talking about. 
He wakes up and he said, there is nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in your work. And I don't know exactly what your particular work situation looks like. I don't know exactly what the, the struggle is that you have with that, but would you believe or would you at least consider this week that in you, because of the Lord Jesus, you have a freedom to find satisfaction in your life? And it might look like freedom from working. It might look like from pulling yourself out of this sense of I have to gain my identity through my work. Or it might look like freedom to work, freedom to jump right back in and exert all the energy and all the gifts and all the skills that God has given you for your work. So um, I would ask as a community that that would be something we consider this week. All right, let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for um, a book that uh, just kind of doesn't leave any stones unturned. Um, that I can't even hide in my work. <laughs> you don't even let me hide from you in, uh, in my, my daily tasks. You say, no, I, wanna, I want you to conform your work to me. I want you to believe that because I love you, because my love is active in you and it wants to be expressed through you, that even your work is something you gotta submit to me. Lord, would you help us to submit the work of our hands, the labor of our hands to you? And would those things become places not uh, where we run and hide from you um, or where we uh, feel like we've lost your pleasure, but would those be the places where we are free to be satisfied by your love? Take us on that journey. Take us on that discernment. This is, this is wisdom and discernment work. Um, bring us to, to other people um, other men and women that can walk with us in understanding how to apply this in our own lives. Thank you for your love. Thank you that your love was on full display and was fully active in us. Pray this in your son's name, the, the greatest expression of your love.